Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of Biomass from episode 258. Glad you could join us. We got the uh, the OG crew here, and we have a couple pretty pretty interesting and, and surprising topics this week. So let's get started with some introductions, starting at the top of the list with Sarizel. I am Sarizel, and I am in agonizing pain. Yeah, we, we, we went in depth over the, the pre-show about how moving is terrible and should never be done. People should pick a house or an apartment or a condo and um, live in it. And all decisions about their life going forwards from that point should be based around the understanding that they will never leave that house. Because even if you hire movers, it's still absolute agony to move. It's just it's, 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 it's really not better. Because now you have to like babysit movers to make sure you aren't like you know having your computer dropped and shit like that. So yeah, that's fun. All right, Jay, you are up. G wagon, G wagon, G wagon, G wagon. Sorry, uh, I was singing along to uh, my favorite uh, song that Jake sings in his off time. Uh, in case you guys don't know, it's uh, I'm absolutely going to out him on the show tonight. But uh, Jake, in fact, aka Zell, is also known as Post Malone. For the three or four of you that actually listen to the show, you may even know who that is. And and no shit, he actually does have the facial tattoos. Those are real. That's not just Instagram, like filter, Snapchat-y kind of shit. Uh, and I hear that he's going to be doing a pop-in show uh, in the south side of Chicago tonight. So for all our peeps, all one of you that's in Chicago outside of him, uh, please go check him out on the marquee. I'm not sure. Who's opening for you tonight, Jake? I, I'm just going to let you roll with this. I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> this is all factual. And I am actually Jason. I am one of the, uh, as they said, the OG uh, co-hosts of the show. This is actually kind of cool. We haven't done this in a long time where we've gotten the three of us isolated in a small recording booth, uh, hidden by green screens and uh, a well-coordinated camera crew and production team, a.k.a. Pokey, that, uh, that, that has kind of captured us going all the way back to our Dust514 EVE Online days. So, uh, I, you know, I, I, it's kind of a snappy little throwback show. I kind of I kind of dig this. That's good stuff. And I've, I've got my, my camera crew, which is a, a child, peering, like, with just one eye over the edge of the banister, looking at me through the door of the office here. Um, I'm flying solo with a kid. So if you hear, like, screaming, like, Dougie in the background, he's watching some crazy, like, British cartoon. I don't even know. But, yeah, be aware. The baby child aggro. Wouldn't uh, the proper throwback thing, it would be for you to give us something based on the number of the episode? Oh, All right, what number are we on? 258. 258? Okay. Before the end of the show, without the aid of Google, uh, I know that it's basically unable to verify that I'm doing it that way, but I could promise you before the end of the show, I will have something to tie 258 to this show. Fantastic. You may proceed. All right. And Zell, so you're going to give us the uh, CPM update, right? <laughs> oh, that'd be totally legit. I would, I would pay straight cash money. Not that we ever actually move money on this show. Only bags of cash and, you know, an unnamed white powder substance from Bolivia. But that being said, uh, yes, please give us a CPM update. I'm, 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 I actually want it, Sal. Like, what's going on? What's going um, on with, uh, with well, the dust? Uh, you know, retirement is, is, a, is a great stage in life. And uh, so what we can do now as a, as a council is that we can just kind of sit back and uh, watch the tweet fleet hashtag um, and just kind of like, you know, sip our drinks as, as the whole world burns. And just like call out Marco Polo's people like 
speculate on things that may or may not be really close to the truth. Of course. I mean, that's that's probably, I imagine, the most fun part. I, is, I w- like, how close they are and they have no idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or um, probably the most interesting thing that that uh, was uh, there was there was a CSM who decided to do like a my NDA is over, so I'm just gonna start saying crud. That was entertaining. Yeah, I don't know about some of the stuff he said. I'm like, ah, it doesn't sound like it makes sense, but it's fun nonetheless. Yeah, like you never know, like because it's un- you, you can't know, verify at all. There's no, you, you, you can't. Total bullshit. No, and no and, one can tell you he's wrong or right. So it doesn't matter. And it's been, you know, and if you're if you're if you're there, like if if your NDA is up, it's been so many years. Like to be honest, like as much as I want to be, like I've got this like tell-all novel ready to go. I remember having stupid crud that I... Well, know, it's all know. irrelevant anyways. It's like, it yeah, is. This, they were talking about five years ago. I'm sure nothing has changed since then. But I, I don't remember stuff that was said, who said it, what was done. I don't know. I didn't take notes. Like, a, like I, I don't know. Did Who it, doesn't take notes? I... Any... Like... If you're a good member of this council, then you would <laughs> well, take notes. Okay, okay that's but true. I didn't. That's, that's, okay, that, that is actually factual. That is true. <laughs> okay, well, the show's that's already the CPM up. update. That's the CPM update. All right, fantastic. Uh, oh, and I, I guess on Pokey Draven, I never got that part. I do the show and YouTube stuff. Okay, so it might be a bit of a shorter episode, but the topics are good. So we'll see if it, how it goes. So I think the first one we should probably start with, we were kind of talking about it before uh, the show started and basically hell has officially frozen over. So the news that came out like today, I think is that Sony and Microsoft, you know, like arch arch rivals, like, you know, some Goku, Vegeta, weeb shit uh, have signed a memorandum of understanding that basically they're going to collaborate on particular topics. Um, and, and I don't think they have like a full breakdown of everything they've actually discussed, obviously. That's not usually public, but it seems largely centered around uh, cloud gaming and some hardware stuff for like what I would assume would be VR and things like that. I'm going to brush my teeth. And my kid's going to brush his teeth. I, you know. Uh, anyways, so... This is this is pretty interesting, and I, I'm I'm kind of curious if Sony and Microsoft are kind of looking at, you know, the direction some of the market's going, and particularly what Google's kind of talking about recently with like Stadia and some of the stuff that like Amazon's kind of poking at, even sure that Epic's kind of working on, and going, you know what? There's some pretty heavy hitters kind of poking at this particular aspect of of our market. And the two of us fighting each other is not going to really be beneficial to either of us because we could get steamrolled real quickly if we're not careful. And I'm curious if they're looking at, like, particularly cloud gaming in general and saying, who knows where this technology is going to go, but we should probably share some ideas and try to get ahead of this thing so that if it does go somewhere, we're not left in the dust because we would be royally screwed if we aren't prepared for this. But I was kind of curious your guys' thoughts on it. Well, the the uh, the biggest thing that hit me as interesting is that allegedly speaking, the developers on the PlayStation side had no idea this agreement was was coming, and that this was like the executives did a thing, and then and then they found out about it um, later. So, I mean, I don't I don't see this as like I, I think people immediately think, oh, look, you know, Xbox and PlayStation are gonna you know integrate with each other and and 
you know, work together and, no. and be like, and, and it's, it's, this is nothing like that. This is very, um, very focused on like cloud services technology. My honest guess is that really Microsoft and Sony quote unquote teaming up constitutes Sony signed a, an, ex, a, an agreement to do, um, to use Azure as the cloud service backend for, for some of their game services. Um, that's kind of where I read it. Um, I, I know that, you know, Microsoft has um, the the they have like an X Cloud gaming service they've been playing with, and I think what PlayStation used to have like PlayStation Live that was a streaming service, right? Uh, I think so. Or PlayStation Go, I forget. Let me look. Keep going. But yeah, so I think it's called PlayStation Now. Yeah, uh, play, that's it. PlayStation Now. I that's remember that because. Yep. You know, because I, you know, when they were saying, "Hey, on the PS4, we're gonna, we're gonna, you know, use PlayStation Now to be able to stream old PS3 titles," and like everybody's like, "Oh my gosh, Dust Five One Four, please!" And they're like, "Yes, no. yes, that's right. I remember now." Um, but uh, so they've all done. Like everybody's already done this cloud gaming thing. Um, and and you know, people have said, "Hey, you know, is this uh, are they doing this because of Google Study?" And I don't, I don't really think they are, to be honest. Um, my impression of that is that um you know these both these companies have already done cloud gaming um there are half a dozen startups that have tried it and failed um if anyone remembers on live back in the day and stuff like that um you know this isn't new territory and i i don't think that anyone really takes uh google as a serious threat here or thinks that they will stay committed to it or or you know hold up long enough before they cancel it like they've shut down everything else um I, I really just think this is a this is a um, you know platform services on the cloud side type of thing. I don't think users are going to see any anything real different or interesting out of this. To be honest, um, I don't I don't necessarily disagree with uh, with you. I, I do think that it's there's a very real sense that they have to take the entry of uh, Google and Epic into the market as real. I, I mean. They, they may think they're a low threat, but they can't they can't discount them either. So I think there's a little bit of that going on. And the reality is that Microsoft and Sony have pretty much had a lock on the console market, you know, for a really long time, and they want to maintain that. So th this is this makes some sense. I mean, like, are we going to see a lot of like big uh, heavy duty things coming out for the gaming market that will uh, help the users a lot? I, I don't think so necessarily, but I also don't. I wouldn't sneeze at it entirely either, because I think it's a it's a bit of an olive branch to each other that they have that they want to maintain control of the market. And let's be real, this is not like some new shit. Like if it's you know, historically, when you have like two, maybe three companies ruling a ruling something like I don't know a railroad, um, they're gonna they're gonna defend that you know when at all possible. Uh, at the expense of a lot of other people, the so, enemy you know versus the one you yeah, don't. Yeah, exactly. And like the, I, said, I the, don't think the oligarchy I, that all happily kind of works yeah, together may will not be. be a lot that comes out of it. But I, like I said, I wouldn't entirely discount it either. Yeah, I, I don't know if this is anything like you know. I, so for starters, I think you're right, Sal. That it's probably a lot of kind of we're going to share some ideas for what's going to happen on the back end. But this is going to turn into something that's crazy and exciting for the user maybe maybe not um it kind of depends on i think where the market goes and where the technology goes with it but to, to jay's point i think it is kind of this olive branch of like you know we we should probably at least you know stop being terrible to each other and at least try to 
see where things are going and if at least we can get along um we can we can um you know be at least more of a united front against any new players might be entering the market because like i said you know google and and stadia like okay that that might may or may not turn into something that's actually a threat but google eyeing this stuff they've got a ton of money they can throw around and they can do a lot of things with that money. I mean, we've seen what Epic's done with, with their Fortnite money. You can imagine if Google really wanted to, to push their way into the market, they could probably, you know, be quite a threat to uh, what Sony and Microsoft are working on. So if those guys want to defend their territory, you know, they, they do need to find some way to go, hey, we're both doing our own thing, but we need to make sure that we don't have this third-party edge well, in and, and really screw us up. The other thing you got to remember is both Sony and Microsoft weren't the original, like, you know, console do- dominators. Or, you know, so they both entered in the market. And, it, you know, just historically, some, somebody is going to win and somebody is going to lose. And, you know, number two is a good position to be in. You know, if, if it's only number one and number two are your choices, your money is pretty good. If there's like one, two, three, four, and five, choices become a little bit different. So I, I like I don't think there's any altruistic thing in here. I think it's just a matter of they want to make sure that they are maintaining console dominance, and that makes sense because their worst case scenario is you know Epic and you know Epic and Google like you know like Justice Leaguing against them or some shit. That would be I in no way do I ever expect that's going to happen. But you can get a black swan real quick in this in the technology market, and they know that. So so they're just trying to proof themselves against that a little bit. No, I think you're absolutely on point with that. Plus, I think it's also interesting to kind of look at, you know, especially with the way that, like, consoles are kind of shifting more towards a PC architecture. It's kind of like defining a console is going to be a little more ambiguous, I think, as we move forward and get kind of closer to, to being more like a PC. So I think that they need to really solidify their position, not just go, yeah, we're the console guys. You know, they need to really know what they're going to be doing moving forward because it it's going to get a little weird, I think, for the next like five to ten years. Hey, Jake, I'm just I'm just curious. We we I don't think we were on the show together when we talked about this, but you're can you give a quick hot take on your your thoughts on the uh, on the next gen numbers that are coming out from uh, Microsoft and PlayStation? Because I think Pokey brings up a good point that the nature of consoles are in fact cha- changing, and that could be a little bit why we're seeing. A little bit more cross pollinization, uh, you know, or some teaming up of some of these different co- companies as they definitely become more PC like, no matter whether they're sitting in your living room or your office. Well, I mean, they're PC like to, you know, from a from a back end standpoint is is like, you know, the the PlayStation five or whatever is going to be able to play PS4 games like they're the same machine because they're basically they basically are um, they're using like stock amd parts under you know under the hood of of these consoles um but uh i i think a big a big part of it is is really the um you know the the handful of exclusives they each lock down but a big part is the community like that's one of the things that on the pc side is really um is what attaches people to steam so like you know steam has my achievements and my friends and my trading cards and all of these little things um that are beyond the fact that realistically it's the same machine you can use whatever launcher you want and install whatever game you dang want to from from anywhere and it's more or less the same but um so i i think to some degree um the the biggest defense of playstation is if you want to buy if you want to play playstation 
games with your PlayStation friends, you're going to buy a PlayStation. Um, and, and there's probably a little bit of brand loyalty tied to that as well. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't see, like, I guess I would, I would see more if like, you know, I remember there was the steam machine thing where, where steam was, you know, you know valve was playing with, uh, we're going to start selling a console. That's just a PC that plays games for that you bought on steam. Um, and, and that died real fast. Um, it, you know, like technically you can still do it, but it's, it's not even advertised as a thing anymore. I don't know if I see a real threat yet. No. Yeah. I would, I don't, I don't think it's a real threat, but I think it's also both those companies realize that they, you know, Google is, you know, not necessarily to be trifled with. And they don't, they don't probably mind at Nintendo too much because it doesn't go, go after their core console market. But they also don't want a lot of other things nipping at their heels either. I mean, because at the end of the day, like I said, you know, it, you know, you could, what if, what if, what if they actually change uh, how gaming can be done? What if they really do crack the code on uh, cloud gaming? That's that you got to watch that. I mean, because that would be a game changer. I mean, no pun realistically i i don't see i don't think that in terms of of like the performance or you know that sort of thing um google has nothing special going for them there um they can throw an ungodly amount of money and server parts at whatever they want to try um but trying to make that financially viable is much harder um and the you know let me me, i'm with you let me just just a mild jump in i would say it's much harder right now, but that doesn't mean it's going to be much harder right next. And if they've got a leg up, that's, that's tough. I, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I, I would say that it does because at the same, you know, yeah, internet performance gets better, but at the same rate, people's expectations of what a game can do and what it looks like, you know, you know, they're like, yeah, we're going to be able to do 4k with Stadia, but you know, 8k is already being talked about. And, And so, I, I honestly, I think the graphics performance type stuff does move a little faster demand wise than the internet speed increases to meet it. Um, I, I do think that's that Google has, does have, uh, one big secret trick, um, that works very much in their favor. Um, if the, if they can use it correctly and, um, if the product doesn't suck in, in the normal ways, the cloud gaming tends to kind of suck. Um, and that's their their deep integration they're planning with YouTube. Um, some of the features that they announced for Stadia sound really cool from the respect of, hey, you're watching someone stream, you click a button on YouTube, and, you know, to try that game, or click a button on YouTube to um, j- literally join the party of the person you're watching stream the game, you know? That would be pretty baller, yeah. Those sorts of features, the social features because that they have they they have a monopoly in in YouTube um and they they made it very clear they want to they want to integrate study deeply with YouTube like watch a game trailer click the button try the demo that sort of thing um that's really going to be their their biggest strength um the interesting thing about that though is i have my my debates on how they will monetize that successfully um, because they, they really haven't talked about how they want to monetize Stadia. They're like, we're going to support a variety of methods of doing so. But it's like, if you're watching a streamer, do you, you know, do you have to own the game? 
Are they going to let you play it for a little bit with this streamer? You know, it, watch some ads to to pay. like. I don't know what they're going to do with it yet, but um, that's where I think their strength is. And if they play that, uh, they might be able to make some money doing it. I don't know if people are going to buy sixty dollars games outright uh, to play on Stadia. It could be a good vehicle, though, for, like you said, try it out as a demo, and, and you maybe you're not going to play the whole thing, but if you just want to, you know, give it a shot, see how it runs, you know, and then they, they're selling you, you know, an actual, like, local copy of the game, it, it is a, a decent enough uh, a vehicle for it, because, like, like you said, the, the social media stuff is fantastic. Like, I was like, that's was, that was pretty cool. Like, if I'm watching someone play Resident Evil 2 or whatever, and I can just hop in at that exact moment and give it a shot and go, is this fun for me? Um, I may not play the game remotely, but it gives me enough of an idea that I can go, I, you know, I think I will go pick that one up. And having that instant access of no download, no purchase, I don't have to go to the store or rent it or anything like that. I can just give it a shot within seconds. That's but really appealing as a marketing tool. Sure, but, well, how, I, but how does Google convert that to a sale if you're going to go buy it on PlayStation. <laughs> well, you have the Google Game Store and you buy a bunch of exclusives. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm kidding, of course. I'll be honest with you. Like, what would be like exceedingly cool is if Microsoft and Sony actually teamed up and then like Epic and Google team up. And then so you almost have like hyper competitors. That would be as far fetched as that is, that would be pretty baller. Like, you know, imagine they let, you know, like whatever the key, you know, the one big key uh, marquee, you know, PlayStation and Xbox titles exchange with each other or something like that. There, there's like yeah, far-fetched. It's like DC and Marvel crossover happens once every like 10 years, but it would be pretty baller if it did. I would really like to see, and I've, I've talked to a few people about um, that. I'd really like to see the equivalent of movies anywhere for games and, you know, movies anywhere is like, you know, Disney came up with it, but it's a, you know, all the studios are on board and, you know, you connect your, your Google, Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, um, Voodoo, Fandango accounts together. And if you buy a movie on one, you get it on all of them. And that, you know, it, it, that's what, where I'd like to see gaming go eventually. Um, the closest thing we have is that every so often, uh, GOG lets you import your steam games if there are some games that they have agreements with. And so then maybe if you had a game on steam, they'll just give it to you for free in their store too. Um, but I would really like to see some of that where maybe, you know, then maybe you're going to play it on PlayStation with your PS friends, but you know, Google gets a chance to get a sale because they sell it to you right out of the demo, you know, or something like that. Um, who knows? I don't know. No, I mean, that's, that's totally valid, but you know, that might actually be kind of the direction things start to go is it's less about what platform you're playing on and more about where you bought it is, is really how they try to, you know, attract you. So, I mean, obviously the market is pushing more towards, we want cross play, you know, we want to be able to, if it's the same game, I got the game on Xbox, got the game on PlayStation. Why can't we, you know, play together. There's, there's really not a good argument other than they want that exclusivity. But if it was kind of came down to like, a, hey, it's all crossplay. Don't worry about it. But if you buy it through PlayStation, PlayStation gets their cut, and you get an exclusive cosmetic, whatever, or Xbox yeah, or Google special skins or whatever for each one. So, right. You know. And it's, it's just kind of like take your pick, and you know they can each each platform can pay for to pay the developer its own little 
you know, stipend to, to get that, that content, but then that's what they use to leverage the purchase through their platform. But in the end, you're just playing, you know, let's say division two, it doesn't really matter what platform you got it on. It's all the same, but you know, you can pick and choose what you prefer. Um, and then, like you said, if, if you get it through Stadia, through their little demo, that's how they monetize it, you know. And Sony and, and Xbox would do the same thing. It could just be a, hey, you're playing on PlayStation. Hey, you want to play the demo? Boom, it starts streaming it straight to your PlayStation. There's no download. You just give it a shot. Do you like it? Cool, hit buy, and you get this stuff, and now you, you're playing the game. Like, it, it's it's doable. I mean, who knows if the numbers work out where it makes sense, but, you know, I, I think it's it, it would be kind of cool to see, honestly, because I think having cross-play would be fun and... You know, who knows? <laughs> who knows? It, it, it'll be interesting, I think. Okay, anything else on that, guys, before we move on to uh, some of the, the fun drama surrounding the Epic Game Store? No, I'm, I'm all in for the, the Epic Game Store stuff. Let's do drama. Let's do the drama. So, Steam has this thing, or they do it a couple times a year. They have a big sale on like a bunch of games in their store and they, you know, it's usually a pretty good deal. It's usually when people hold off on buying games because they pick it up on the Steam song. We've all heard of the the winter Steam sale and all the, the crazy stuff that goes around that. You can get games for like 60, 75, 90% off, like crazy shit. So that's fun. Epic was like, cool, we want to have a super mega sale too. All right, that makes sense. And they basically said, okay, anything that is $14.99 or above in our store is now $10 off. Which is like, holy shit, like that's a pretty good sale. Um, the thing is, is that the, the difference is that normally when these things go on sale for Steam, it's usually a, a percentage cut between the developer and, and Steam who's taking the hit on that sale. And the developer opts into the sale. Where in the case of Epic, they basically said, we're lopping off 10 bucks off the top and we are eating all of that discount. So the, the developer is going to get whatever they would have normally gotten from that sale and we're just going to eat the cost associated with that sale because we're trying to you know drive uh traffic to the store which which makes sense the problem is is that while monetarily the developers didn't take a hit on any of this this sale wasn't really something they opted into it was more of just a we're doing this and they didn't really communicate that very well to the developers so developers are suddenly having their games sold for like five dollars and when you see a game that is being sold for five dollars you think oh that's you know it, it may not be that great of a game you know there's kind of that that psychological uh, phenomenon where if something's cheap you kind of think it's lesser value which may not be what you actually want to see as a developer or a publisher, um, particularly because this sale was also applying to games that hadn't been released yet. So, like, you could like pre-order like Borderlands Three for fifty bucks. Um, yeah, there's. Um, I mean, I, one of the things is I I I feel like we should go into detail a little bit about like the the just raw extent of this sale. Um, because yeah, it 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 definitely like the pre-orders is huge like. When you look at like a Steam sale, you know, yeah, there's like the deep cut, like 15 to 85% off titles. But like, if you look at a game that came out like a month or two ago, there's no sale at all. It's just full price. Right. And so, you know, you're, you're getting back catalog titles at, you know, on the Steam sale. And this includes pre-orders, which is insane. Um, you know, no, nobody does that. And, um, 
the the other thing that's crazy is you know this this sales so this sales a month long it started like on the 15th or something it's going to like june 15th so it's already a four-week sale and then they said so look um if you have an active pre-order you know obviously you could cancel your pre-order and pre-order it again with the sale so don't do that we're just going to give you your 10 bucks back so they're like literally every pre-orderable game that hasn't come out yet they're just giving everyone 10 bucks back at this you know as of this sale and then they're like and if you bought a game after may 2nd which is like the two weeks before like yeah we're gonna give you your 10 back bucks back for that too so this sale was kind of retroactive back two weeks for all games and since whenever pre-orders started for any unreleased titles that they're just eating you know Arguably, they're eating eight bucks a title since, or, or eight bucks and eighty cents a title, uh, since they're giving you ten bucks off, but they have an eighty, you know, that they take a twelve percent cut. Um, so this is this is an insane kind of sale, and it, it. What's interesting to me too is that this is a very different, um, this is a very different model of sale. Um, have you heard the term, uh, Pokey? Have you heard of what they call agency-based pricing? Uh, no, explain it to me. All right, so so basically the, the ag- agents, so like a retailer is, is the, the standard model is re- a retailer like, you know, Walmart buys a big stock of stuff and they buy it for a set price from whoever made it. And then at that point, and the manufacturer can suggest a retail price. That's MSRP. But Walmart now owns the stuff because they bought it and they could sell it at whatever price they darn well want to. That's the traditional way things are done. The agency-based pricing model is um, really something that um, Apple, in particular, was kind of credited with spearheading with the the um, with iTunes and and the App Store and stuff like that. And it's kind of the way digital media is sold today. And that's where the developer, the you know whoever created the product, is setting the price tag, and they determine the price. And then whatever that price is the store just gets a, a, you know, percent cut. And in, in most cases, you know, for, for Apple, Google, um, Steam, et cetera, that cut is 30%. So the, with agency pricing, the, the person, the, whoever's making the product decides what the price is. And that includes during Steam sales and stuff like that. They set the price. And that's the, the funny thing is, is you, you can see this difference if you're, um, uh, if you look at Amazon, where there a lot of times it's actually cheaper to have them ship you a physical box of that literally just has a code in it because nobody actually like if you're a PC gamer, you buy a PC game, they don't actually put a disc in the box anymore. They literally just send you a box with a code sheet in it. But because that's a physical product, it's bought at retail like at, at, like a retailer does. They buy it wholesale and sell it, and they can sell it for whatever price they want. But if they sell you a digital download code, it's full price because it's set by the by the developer what it's to be sold at. And so Steam is an agency model pricing. You set your prices. And Epic basically designed the way they did this sale was they treated themselves like a retailer where they're like, we're we're still paying you what we agreed to. We're just selling it to consumers for a different price. And that's unheard of in this this market. This is just not something that's done for digital goods. Um, and so I, I think in some cases, uh, there were def- there's definitely that there were games that 
were pulled because they, they didn't want to participate in the pricing. They may have contracts with other platforms if they're not Epic exclusive. You know, um, one of the uh, uh, clauses that some of these contracts can have is, uh, I think it's, they refer to it as a most favored nation clause where it says, hey, you can sell it wherever you you want, but you have to sell it with us the cheapest or the same price. And so some some companies may have that that sort of agreement in place. Um, I think there were some that might have even been a little confused about how this was going to work because, it, you know, in Steam, they're going to set their price to take place during the Steam sale. Um, and there were a couple store items on Epic that were discounted by the price, to, like discounted by the developer. And then Epic dropped 10 bucks off it again. And I think that they thought they were setting their sale price for the mega sale and didn't realize that Epic was just going to add their discount on top of the other discount. So people who bought certain, so there were some games people were able to buy on the first day of the Epic sale that, that were either were pulled and they're going to honor the prices, but they didn't intend to have it part of the sale at all. And there's ones that uh, the discount was kind of accidentally doubled or, or beyond what the developer intended because they didn't know how this was going to work. Um, and there are actually one of the things I noticed is uh, when the Epic uh, sale started, um, the lower the prices for the games on the homepage of the store showed the post Epic sale discount, the ten buck credit off. It said, "Here's here's your final price for this." If you go to the Epic store now, you see the undiscount unsaled prices on the page. But then when you click into a given game, it shows the price again, and that says. And then the epic. This is the price after the epic sale takes its ten bucks out. So there's there's definitely been some some maneuvering here to kind of placate people because they've done this really unheard of strategy. And and I do like it as as a you know as a consumer, um, I think it's great. Um, I definitely understand where they ran into some some rough waters. Um, I think there's there's a couple different things that are a little confusing too yet because. Um, I like all of Ubisoft's titles are gone, but allegedly uh, Ubisoft says that was, that's a technical difficulty and that it took place before the sale. Um, and that, so that might actually come, they may come back and be part of the sale before it's over. Um, but then, uh, there were definitely titles that were pulled to not participate. And then, uh, Quantic Dream, which is the company that makes, um, Heavy Rain, Beyond Two Souls, and Detroit Become Human, which are all PS4 exclusive um, and are coming out this year for Epic exclusive to PC. Um, they actually, within a day of the sale launching, they went from just coming soon to opening up pre-orders and putting prices on. And my guess there is they just want the money from the sale. And they're like, hey, if Epic's going to pay it and you know get a bunch of consumers to buy our games for less, where we still get the same amount of money. Um, so they actually, it looked like Quantic Dream actually went on board to actually, you know, move forward to opening pre-orders so that they could benefit from the sale. Yeah. And okay. Even, sorry. Sorry. Go ahead, Jay. No, no. All right. So a very good, very good rundown of the situation. So I will, I'll ask the question that everybody asks when you, when, when you ever have a situation like this. Okay. So what? what? What does that mean to uh, Joe Sixpack, which is a, a phrase that most of you guys that are below the, the age of, you know, I don't know, 30, don't understand. But um, where do you see this affecting, other than some people are getting some pretty sweet deals in the short run, 
Um, do you see this working out in a bad way for anybody? Or is this, well, maybe they stumbled into a great way to draw more positive attention to the Epic Store. Well, I mean, I don't know if it's, it, you know, it's another press cycle of people saying, look, the Epic Store screwed up. But I, I think it's probably going to work out fine for them. It's obviously, it's a lot of good attention and and to some degree, especially when you're trying to compete with someone on the scale of of uh, Steam, almost any attention is probably somewhat good attention. Um, I, I as I said, I like the model. I think if if developers understand it more ahead of time, um, I think they'll be fine with it in the long run. Um, I think you know there's a couple games that were un you know a couple unreleased titles that pulled because they didn't want to be in the sale and I don't think there's anything wrong with that um, particularly either um, but that's kind of one of those interesting areas that they end up in when they decide that they're going to just apply it to the whole store as opposed to you know letting people set their own prices for the sale. Yeah, I think if anything, it just it it it'll be fine in the long run. I think it just shows Epic's inexperience with actually running a store. Because it was, from the sounds of it, extremely poorly communicated to the the, the, the vendors and, and the uh, or other developers that are in the store. Because like, <laughs> so I, I, I this this the so the sale happened. People were like, "Holy shit! Wow! Okay!" And Randy Pitchford, who's the CEO of Gearbox, they make Borderlands. Um, was like, yeah, the sale is great. It's fantastic. And then like an hour later, the game was pulled from the store for the pre-order. Because I think 2K caught word of it and was like, uh, yeah, we don't want to sell the game at 50 bucks because, you know, like it, it, it looks it looks a little weird for a pre-order game that we're trying to like mark it up as a big, you know, AAA title coming out. So it's almost like Randy Pitchford or Gearbox didn't know about this thing until like it happened or right before it happened. 2K Games, their publisher, didn't have a clue at all. Um and it, everyone's just kind of caught off guard and scrambling and you've got games being pulled you know, after the sale starts because they're like, we don't want this to happen, even if you're eating the cost. And I, I think that Epic just thought like, well, why would you guys complain? We're, we're eating it's the free cost money, of this. It's right? free money. And they're like, yeah, but we don't want to sell our pre-order game for 30% off because we're a little scrappy indie developer and people are going to think our game is, you know, worth less because it's on sale before it even comes out. You know, from a consumer perspective, it's it's uh, it doesn't look great. It's just kind of weird, um, and I, I don't think this is going to cause lasting damage for Epic. But I think it does kind of make the developers are probably like, yeah, let's go for Epic. They're going to give us all this exclusive money. It's going to be great. And they're going, actually, these guys have no fucking clue what they're doing. Like, we should maybe tread a little more carefully, you know, moving forward, just to understand that yeah, Epic's got a lot of money and they can buy, you know, exclusives pretty easily, but they have got a lot of learning to do. Um, they they got to improve their store. They got to figure out how to run their shit a little bit better. Um, they're just immature with, with the market they've stepped into and they've, they've pretty much used money to become a heavy hitter. And they're still like in the infant stage of trying to figure this stuff out. So I don't think it's going to be long-term effect. I don't think it's, you know, necessarily like this horrible thing, but it does kind of show that, yeah, they're new at this and you might want to tread carefully if you're a developer because clearly they just kind of do stuff. Um, so I think one developer was like, yeah, they didn't tell us that they were going to do this. And like the, the the head of marketing or whatever for Epic was like, you know, we, we, we told them. And like an hour later, they're like, okay, yeah, apparently we didn't tell them. <laughs> like they, they're, they're kind of confused internally as well. Uh, so I, I think Epic just needs to kind of, slow down a little bit and stop pulling the trigger on stuff like 
crazy and actually kind of work through things and get feedback from developers before they, they do stuff like this in the future. Yeah, sometimes it's um, so. So there, there's a theory that I've seen in a lot of places, and in all fairness, I've seen played out in a lot of different kind of domains, not necessarily um, business or, or particularly in any kind of tech-related industry, but like in a whole lot of other venues, I, I guess including some very specific niche tech things. Having too many resources is a problem that not many people think about, or they're like, wow, that'd be a cool problem to have. What that could lead you down the road of doing is taking chances that you, not not just chances you wouldn't otherwise take, but it's really more about taking um, chances that you don't actually think through and you don't do all the legwork and the, and the little things to uh, make your shit pan out right. It's not evil, it's just, it's sort of human nature, particularly as, a, as you start to grow real fast or you suddenly you get a huge influx of resources. And I've seen this like in the business world, um, you know, in other parts of the world. By the way, that reminds me, 258, uh, that is a country code in Africa. Uh, I, I, I am struggling to come up with a country. Somebody please fact check me on that. But I am highly confident that that is a country code in Africa. It is, uh, it is the country code for Mozambique. No shit. All right, there I am. Well done. Like, like fucking clockwork. All right, <laughs> anyway. Uh, but having too many resources, which, and you could argue that if you look at some of these like baller moves that uh, that Epic have been have been making, that's because they are so flush with cash. It's almost like, eh, let's just throw let's throw a wad of money at that and see what happens. Just maybe to disrupt the market, to disrupt the environment, to see where that leads. That that's there's logic there, but it also can in fact lead you to be a little bit more sloppy with your choices and your execution than you normally would be when you have to be much more meticulous about the expenditure of your resources. By the way, whether that's time, physical assets, liquid cash, whatever. No, I think it's definitely a fair, a fair way to look at it. Cause I mean, to them, this, this cost they're eating may be nothing to them, but in reality for your average store, like that's a big deal, you know? So they, they would never just do that on a whim, but for, for Epic to them, it's like, yeah, I'm blowing like 20 bucks. I don't care about it. You know? So they, they do get a little reckless, I think. I mean, I think I think to some degree, though, we should point out that um, I I think it really wasn't it didn't Steam more or less start the same way as you know they're like we're we're a really successful game company, so um, let's start selling games, and you know, I, and Steam had its fair share, and this is the thing like it's hard to, to you know to point you know think about this like ten years down the road. 10 years ago or 15 years ago, whenever the heck they started this thing, everyone was ticked about Steam because it was, you know, the lock-in, the, oh, I have to sign in to pay the game, I, you know, to play the game I paid for? What happened to just putting in a disc and running it? And so, you know, to some degree, I, I feel like some of this is like in, in the historical context, nowhere near the big deal that people make it out of today. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's... <laughs> you're absolutely right people hated steam when it first came out they threw a giant fit and that's why i'm like yeah the epic store needs needs work their their experience as as a as a venue is is lacking everyone's freaking out about it i'm like in 10 years you're gonna be like it's whatever you're not gonna care 
Um, so I, I always kind of roll my eyes at the people that are that are freaking out over it. Like, yes, Epic is by far from perfect, but it's not nearly as big of a deal as everyone's making it out to be. And remember when everyone was upset um, about Origin when when EA pulled all their games out of you know they stopped selling new games in uh, uh, yes <laughs> in Steam so that you could you know you could buy it straight from them to you know save the whole 30 percent you know and there was it there was a, there was like you know the boycotts and this and that and it's like now if you want to play battlefield you download origin and it's just a thing that people do well it, it, what's funny is that it, it started as oh my god why are they doing this why are they making it exclusive this is ridiculous holy shit and now the narrative has changed to well i mean they made the game so it's understandable they want to sell it through their launcher i'm like okay guys like you know it's it's just funny how how the narrative's changed over time and it becomes more acceptable and it's just like it's going to be the same for this um people just don't like the change and you know it's a clunky change over to how things are moving but you know in the end it's all going to sort itself out and no one's going to really care in in you know a few years so yeah, I think that's uh, you know, Epic isn't always a fantastic ongoing source of things to talk about in the gaming industry because it is so uh, disruptive in what it's doing. Uh, may that be good or bad, but I think it is always uh, worth keeping an eye on because it is it is certainly making waves. Uh, however, you may look at it. Uh, is there anything else you guys want to talk about today? I, I I'm pretty good with what we've got so far, but if you have anything you want to touch on, now's the time. Um, I think I'm, I think, I think that's probably about it. Um, none of us have played the division two raid yet, uh, much, much to our chagrin, but I will say this. I did, um, I guess in my pseudo shout out, I did re-download ghost recon wildlands and kind of dipping back into that a little bit. It, it's kind of interesting. Like I kind of, I played that game for a little while, but kind of fell off of it. Like many of Ubisoft's titles. Very, very rough launch, but then, you know, they persevered with that game till now. It's a very, very, very beloved offering, um, you know, in that series. Like, a lot of people are super big into uh, Wildlands. This is obviously on the heels of the uh, the release of, uh, of Breaking Point, which looks really good, and it's a very different style of game than, than, than Wildlands is. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm continually in the camp of Ubisoft when it comes to if, if everybody else would look around at, you know, two things, one, what happens when you, you put a game out there and you've got, you know, you have enough to work with and you're confident you have enough to work with to make it uh, a super, super viable game. And then you stick with it and you, you breathe life back into the game that they're, they're hands down track record of success in doing that. Um, And then part two what they learn from doing that over time, they actually apply. And I would reference the division two and how that game rolled out. So that that's, that's just kind of my, um, you know, shout out to, uh, to the Ubisoft team as they continue to plug along. And I have some high hopes for, uh, for breaking point. Like I said, very different looking game. It's pretty interesting. And, and uh, at a point, maybe to show down the road, uh, we could talk a little bit about the Ubisoft, you know, like uh, the Ubiverse, if you will, because there's a lot of interesting little background hints that there may be some linkages between uh, what you see in the Ghost Recon Wildlands game and maybe the Division world. And certainly they've had a very direct callback where they had Sam Fisher uh, in a cameo in Ghost in uh, Ghost Recon as well. Yeah, that'd be pretty good. 
Do you, were you tracking the uh, the difference for the Division Two raid with uh, how PC cleared it in like five hours and it took like three days for console because of uh, difficulties with the control scheme between the two? Um, I was def- I think it was thirty six hours on controller, but yeah, I was definitely okay. I, I was aware that there was a a fairly significant difference. And in fact, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, um, it was. You know, if you if you imagine this, after the, the functional component of the raid in terms of like more or less the steps and how you go through the mechanics, particularly beating uh, the first boss, Boomer, who is by all accounts the, the most difficult thing in there, um, that even though you had the advantage of understanding the mechanics of how to beat him, their ability to execute the mechanics was definitely hampered. So I, I was digging a little bit into that. I was trying to do a little fishing on what was going on with that, but I, I have heard that. I've, that's I've, I've been traveling with work, uh, you know, off and on for the last you know five weeks. But I, I was definitely picking up on that from social media feeds. I, did do you know anything about the specifics about what that what was occurring there? Was it literally just physically how you have to like manually move controls or macro things or, or something that was creating the issue. So I, I haven't looked too deeply into it. I, I kind of wanted to not spoil too much for myself, but I've heard that the issue is that there are certain mechanics, particularly in the final encounter that require like a really, really high level of precision and people just aren't able to get what the game is asking for them on like a twin, a twin stick controller. Like you need a mouse to execute the level of precision they're asking for. And I think that was kind of the primary problem. They said that the whole raid was more difficult um, on console, but like that, in particular, that final encounter was almost impossible for people to actually do on a controller. Yeah, I could, I could see that being a, a significant issue in all fairness. Uh, just if you need precision, let's be realistic, a console is not, yeah. at the moment, not how you're going to do that. Um, but... I, I can understand where there's where, where there's some differences in that. I mean, that, and that's something that plagues a lot of games nowadays, just because of the way inputs are set up, and then what you what what your tolerances are. Um, I'm not sure how you fix that either, though. Yeah, and that might be a good topic to, to kind of dive into another episode because, like uh, Destiny Two, for example, if you talk to PC versus console players, people who play both. Like, just like using Crucible, the, the PvP is an example. Like, they are vastly different in what guns are, what type of guns are, are preferred um, between console and PC, and how, like, when the last word came out, it was, like, absolutely amazing on, on PC, and it was kind of okay on console. Like, just because of the way that the controls and how it all handles differently, um, just very different experiences. And it, it's, it's kind of curious because we, we see now a lot of games coming out on multiple platforms. And the challenges of trying to deliver the same experience, but you really don't have the same game. Um, like content-wise, it's the same, but how you interact with it is obviously very different. And in trying to tune content in a way that that feels good on both of them can be difficult. So that might be a good topic for some other day. But uh, it's definitely a challenge you see popping up more and more recently. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Fair enough. I think that'd be a good chat. We could probably. Uh... We probably want to find, uh, bring on a couple, you know, you know, somebody that's like a hardcore PC player, uh, uh, you, you know, that can maybe speak to some of the higher end stuff on that. Because I, I'm not like, I certainly don't play anything that requires that level of hand-eye coordination and twitch skills on a P, on a, a PC or a desktop rather. 
Yeah, I tend to stick to more RPG stuff on on PC just because the the keyboard is a lot easier. But uh, yeah, it'd be good to get some people on and kind of talk about that. Uh, for my shout out, uh, uh, you know, I'll give it to the the people writing the the script for the story in Final Fantasy fourteen. Um, I, I took about a year hiatus from the game, just uh, was doing other stuff, and in the expansion's coming out in June, and so I've kind of jumped back in on catching up on the story, and I gotta say, like, the, the story for that game has had its ups and downs, but, like, if... I'm not totally caught up yet, but if it's going where I think it's going, it's gonna be really, really cool, I'm really excited for it. So, the direction they're taking it is 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 quite unique, um, I'm pretty excited for it, so I'm looking forward to that, but, uh, you know, uh, definitely props to those guys. Alright, Zell, and you are up. Um, darn it, I wasn't ready. Uh, we we gave you as much time as possible. I know, I know, I know. I'm sorry. Usually, you're first. I'm. You see, the trick is though, and this is this is when you put me first, then I fail, but I get a chance to recover because I'm thinking about it for the next two or three shoutouts. Oh, I need something before they loop back around and ask me if I I'm still sorry. have something. My bad. You, you didn't do that, so I wasn't ready. And now there's no shoutouts to go after me to give me a chance to come up with something. You so, can just keep stalling though. You're doing a good job. I'm 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 really trying, and I'm just you know, I I don't know. Um, you know, shout out to back pain. I I don't know. Someone stabbed me in the back, and then it'll That's be terrible. gone. Okay. All right. Just gonna end that right there. All right, guys. That is our show. It's a grease fire at the end as usual and the beginning. But uh, thanks for sticking with us. As always, if you want to be on the show, if you want us to cover any particular topics, play any particular games, head over to biomass.com, give us a ring. That being said, we'll see you next week, and uh, be safe out there.